Today we talked to Mira Gonzalez, who is a poet hailing from Los Angeles, California. Um, she is a sprightly 24 years old and she's already published two books. One is called I Will Never Be Beautiful Enough to Make Us Beautiful Together and the other one is called Selected Tweets, which was recently published. Um, for a 24-year-old, she is doing quite well. <laughs> In fact, she has a Wikipedia page, which I'm going to read from now. Um, and everyone knows that a Wikipedia page is the absolute proof that you've made it. <laughs> so in Nylon Magazine, one of the reviewers, Liza Darwin, had called Gonzalez part of a whole new crop of cool girl poets and has described her work as clever, totally unfiltered, and peppered with twisted insight and refreshing humor. I think she does a really good job of... Um, depicting one ex part of the millennial experience in a way that's really unapologetic and very visceral and real. Um, and I think that's really admirable because I think a lot of us spend our entire lives trying to say what we really mean to say, and she does it somewhat effortlessly. In this interview, we talk a little bit about her uh, process and her tweets and um, how she gets to that very real and honest place. So I hope you really enjoy our conversation with Mira Gonzalez. This one is called, I Have Never Been More Sorry. Begin this way with the thought, the earth was gray and sad that day, or I am waiting for something important, then allow certain details to become morbid with time. A fence surrounding nothing in particular, a pathway leading to another pathway. Watch your fingers extend from the bottom of your sleeve to the edge of your lips and back down again. You were capable of something then, and maybe you did love me, or you do love me but my eardrum is still simplifying air pressure waves, knowing that it will never see light or feel anything besides complex vibrations coming from your mouth and your throat when you say that you feel like the first week of December because I'm holding someone else's hand in a closet, because you hugged me for four seconds too long, because I know the feeling of leaving or arriving or coming back, the feeling of loving you during two snowstorms and wanting to touch everything in the world at once. You said that you had grown up with your parents being artists and like you'd always, um, you know, you'd never, you never thought that being an artist or that kind of thing is, was strange. When, when did you like really start publishing your work or start thinking, oh, this is, this is what I'm going to do? I mean, I think it took me a long time to say this is what I'm going to do. Um, I think, I think that didn't come until maybe after I had published my second book, you know, like it, it took a while to say like, okay, this is going to be like my career from now on. Um, so uh, I guess during my freshman year of college, um, my good friend Spencer uh, lent me a copy of Bed by Tao Lin, um, which is, was his short story collection. And I sort of read that 
and I immediately identified with it and loved it and was like, oh my God, this book is so great. Uh, and then after that, I sort of researched how a bit more and kind of discovered this online community of writers that was sort of centered uh, around liking Tao's writing. Um, and Tao at the time had a, and I guess still does, had a publishing house called Moo Moo House, where he would actually publish uh, like poems and short stories and selections from people's Twitter accounts. So that's kind of the idea where we got the idea for selected tweets. Um, and so the first time I ever got published, uh, I I guess Tao had been favoriting a couple of my tweets or something. Um, like, I don't know how he found my Twitter account still, and I don't think he does either. But uh, And then he sent me an email that was like, hey, can I publish your tweets on Moomoo House? And I was like, hell yeah, cool. Um, and I guess that was kind of the first time where I saw uh, publishing and writing as like a viable anything. You know, like I, I never thought about getting published before that or thought about even like making my writing into something that was publishable uh, until that. And then when I did get published, I was kind of like, oh, this is something that maybe I could do and that maybe I'd be like good enough at writing to do. And that's when I sort of started making my writing into something that I was okay with showing other people and that I was okay with submitting places. Um, and all of that, you know, and then it's just a matter of like getting past uh, getting rejected, you know, all writers will get rejected a ton in the beginning. And then it was just a matter of getting past the insecurity of that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of how it began. Um, so let's go to your tweets on Twitter, which is kind of redundant to say, but um, I mean, so just to read a couple of your most recent tweets, and you don't capitalize on Twitter either. So I felt bad. And so it says, I've on I can't, 19 hours ago, actually, I felt bad. So I got stoned enough to feel like I'm falling down a hole, even though I'm laying down on the couch. And now I feel mostly okay. And like 108 people have liked it and 15 people have retweeted it. Um, and then 19 hours, I guess on the same hour, you said, I'm having a hard time using the correct gender pronouns for my dog. <laughs> um, I remember like reading things like this when I was trying to find a contact info for you. And I was so intrigued by the person <laughs> behind these tweets. Um, let's see if we can read one more. How much... On March 3rd, you wrote, roses are red, violets are blue, I own a crazy deformed dog, and he can smell my menstruation. Which is actually really true, like, true of they dogs. Can, <laughs> like, like, I feel like my dog has been, like, much, like, sweeter to me since I started menstruating, like, <laughs> sitting on my lap and, like, sleeping and, like, licking me and stuff. Like, I feel like he knows I'm having a hard time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like... I guess, how do you come up with these tweets? And, um, you know, is there, do you, do you do them? Like, do you see these tweets uh, serving a particular purpose? Or are you just, you know, having fun on the internet? Um, I mean, I think the tweets serve the same purpose that other types of writing does for me. It's just, it's a form of self-expression, a form of um, expressing certain feelings or events um, for, you know, whether it be like, the entertainment of others or just the uh, other people identifying with it, you know, or whatever. Um, Twitter specifically, though, is uh, fun for me because it's not um, it's not so edited. It's like not uh, something that you have to really like um, sit down and uh, ooh, my boyfriend just brought me a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> Sorry. That's um, a good boyfriend right there. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, anyways, Twitter, yeah. I mean, I 
I guess I just found it to be a an easy platform for me, you know, like in the same like I guess I've always found like the constraints of poetry to um be good for my writing and be helpful and you know in the same way that like a like a haiku is a po- is a restraint for poetry because you need to do five lyrics and or five um five seven and then five like Twitter is the same way except instead of focusing on syllables you're focusing on characters and in that way I think it's a it has always just been a really helpful exercise in editing for my writing um, in general. And then I think that kind of just led to me really like enjoying the instant gratification aspects of it and enjoying like the, the overly confessional aspects of it. So I guess uh, just to give listeners something, I guess, concrete to hold on to, I'll um, read this Friday. I hope that's not one of the ones that you were planning to read. Um, no, no, please go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so then we can talk about it maybe um, after that. So it goes, this Friday, I woke up at 2 p.m., started drinking alcohol at 3 p.m. At 11 p.m., I went to a party wearing the same clothes I wore on Thursday at 12.30 a.m., the guy I lost my virginity to told me he is having a baby. At 1.30 a.m., I ate drugs in the bathroom without telling anyone. I don't know how to maintain relationships. Most of the people I've had sex with have negative feelings about me now. Starving to death during sex is something I would like to do this week. Every time I look at my computer, I fight the urge to open a Word document and list everything I ate that day. Here's what I ate today. Coffee, curry vegetable thing from Whole Foods, plum. I am most comfortable around people who criticize me because I feel like anyone who isn't constantly criticizing me is lying or expecting me to be something different. Seems insane that you need money to do things like develop a drug addiction or move across the country. I don't identify as depressed, even though I feel depressed. Seems unfair that I only get to feel a finite amount of things in my life. Lately, I've been assuming that dried fruit has more calories than regular fruit. I feel like 400 dead jellyfish in the middle of a freeway. So, I mean, there's like this really strong sense in this whole poem, but like there is a lot of lines in here that kind of, like we were just talking about, uh, don't logically flow. Like, uh, what was it? You go from talking about sex for like a couple of lines and then you say I fight the urge to open a word document list everything I ate that day <laughs> like how I mean did you conceive of those at the same time was it part of like a long free light free write thing that you just ended up mashing together or so that poem specifically for me I think I was trying to sort of mimic um my own train of thought like what was happening to me in that moment like what I was thinking exactly and obviously it's not exactly what I was thinking um but like specifically like having a couple lines about sex and then that line about wanting to write down everything I ate uh for me those two things are tied so closely together like if I think about like having sex with someone I think okay well how does my body look like should I be eating less should I be eating more like what's like the right size what's the wrong size you know it's like just the I think inherent insecurity that a lot of women feel um in that way so I think that what I was trying to convey there was the inherent insecurity that I felt about sex to the point where I couldn't just think about sex but I had to like start thinking about like neurotically writing down everything that I was eating that day um but at the same time that's only my interpretation of it 
You know, mm-hmm. like I, I strongly feel that once I've written something and I put it out, it, it doesn't belong to me. And my interpretation is only my interpretation. And everybody's interpretation is valid as far as I'm concerned, as long as it's their own and as long as it's, you know, what they genuinely feel about the poem. Um, so, you know, I think that people could take that in a lot of different ways and that's good. And I, I like that a lot. But for me, I think it's just um, touching on uh, my bodily insecurities, but not in an obvious way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just kind of describing reality and then, you know, I guess people interpret yeah. it the way that they want. But it feels true, like, intuitively. Right, and I think it feels so. true because it, it, it is true for me, you know? Like, <laughs> right. it was um, it was really truly, like, that is, like, where my mind goes. And I, I hope, I think, that there's probably other people who also have that experience. And I, I hope that, you know, maybe they would read that and say, like, oh, that's, like, I feel that way, too. Like, that's funny, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it just, and then some people would probably read it and say, like, I don't know what this bitch is talking about and who cares. <laughs> um, it really, it really depends. I really love the curry vegetable thing from Whole Foods because, <laughs> yes, they do have those things all the time. They, yeah, like, it's never, you, like, you know quite, like, is. one vegetable. It's always just, like, a thing. Like, there's just kind of, like, a lot of stuff in there and it's, like, good, but, like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um... And then, so when you say, and then, so then you talk, you kind of meander into like this meditation about depression, and then you say, seems unfair that I only get to feel a finite amount of things in my life. And then you say, and then it like really jumps around and it says, lately I've been assuming that dried fruit has more calories than regular fruit. And then I feel like 400 dead jellyfish in the middle of freeway. Did those things seem connected to you at all? Or, um, yeah, I mean, I think again, I was trying to mimic the natural way one's brain works so like like I think at least in my brain you could easily you know jump from like oh I'm thinking about food and now I'm thinking like wait why do I only get to touch a certain amount of things then like oh now I'm thinking about food again you know like it kind of like jumps in a sort of a sensical but also not quite sensical way like um like it makes sense but it's kind of like not quite the proper timeline and I think that I was just trying to uh display as best I could like what it's actually like being in a human mind you know like I feel like a lot of my poetry is very organized and very um and a lot of everybody's poetry is like kind of very organized and trying to like display certain things in a certain order that like makes sense um but our our minds don't really work that way and our minds don't really make as much sense as we want them to a lot of the time and it's alienating to think that everybody else's mind is making sense in a way that your mind is not and with that poem I was kind of trying to show like you're not alone in that like everybody's mind sort of jumps and does crazy shit like that not just yours um and I think that's why or at least I, I hope that's why people would identify with the poem you know because mm-hmm. it, it does kind of have like it's sort of just like a bunch of loosely connected thoughts yeah and then the last line is just so amazing I feel like 400 dead jellyfish in the middle of the freeway that imagery what do you think makes a good last line like what are you looking for when you um I mean I think that again it really depends on the poem itself I think that for that one specifically um I had thought of the last line of the poem before I thought of a lot of the poem I think and I made it be the last line because I felt that it was like uh an image that stuck with me like when I felt it I was like that feels right and it feels like an image that I can like really like imagine in my head and seems like powerful in its own way or something um and I felt like uh 
it sort of just encapsulated the feeling of the poem, or at least the way that I felt about the poem, it um, better than any other line in the poem. And so generally the last lines of poems will, uh, for me, try to kind of be a way to like, um, say what the whole poem was or like kind of encapsulate the poem in one line so people can read and go okay well I'm kind of feeling this and I'm kind of feeling this and the last time they go okay right that's what I'm feeling like that's what this poem means um so I kind of wanted to like solidify the feeling of the poem in the most concrete terms that I can basically mm-hmm. and so when you say concrete also that means that imagery and just the senses are really important to you right definitely yeah I think that um some anything that evokes a feeling and especially something that evokes different feelings depending on the reader. Like if I can find, uh, th- those are the kind of things that I would want to be the last line is something that um, immediately invokes any kind of feeling and um, specifically in, evokes in me the feeling that I felt while writing the poem. And that's kind of like, while I was writing that poem, I kind of felt like 400 dead jellyfish in the middle of a freeway, you know? And like, that's kind of like what sex makes me feel like. And that's kind of like what thinking about my body makes me feel like, you know? Um, so it's sort of, yeah, it sort of just worked. Yeah, because the poem right below that also, the last line is, I want to have an emotion that feels like being slowly punched in the face for three years. And that's yeah. a very visceral, sensory yeah. line as well. Yeah, def- I mean, I definitely try to like play with that a lot, like having like very, um, something that you can immediately almost feel in your body, you know, like being slowly punched in the face for three years, you can almost like like, even though it's a feeling that, like, nobody's really had, like, it's something you can, for some reason, instantly imagine the feeling of, um, and that, like, I'm always looking for things like that in my poetry. Yeah, I mean, I, do you know, I mean, you do write a lot about, um, I don't know, I think you write really beautifully about very ordinary experiences, like, I'm thinking about, um, I actually have it pulled up on another browser, um, you know, just about waking up on a Friday at 2 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Um, and then another one's the one right after is called Two Weeks Ago. I was looking for drugs at a party. And just like these very, I mean, these experiences that are so recognizable in a way. And also just, I think, so beautiful in the way that you crystallize them because they are so I mean like a lot of these things like these ordinary life experiences just pass us by right I think and the way that you crystallize them makes them beautiful um yeah I mean I think that in my writing um I've always felt that those experiences those you know mundane experiences that we have every day are kind of the most important ones because it's the thing that you experience the very most and I feel like for the most part when people and obviously there's exceptions to this but for the most part when people are writing about something including myself it, it's something really big and something really transformative and important and that's like of course important to write about and interesting to read about but it kind of glosses over so many aspects of life and I've, I've felt really alienated by that in a lot of writing that you know they're not um it's kind of glossing over what life really is and it doesn't feel like real life it feels like a movie you know it feels like action um it feels like facebook (laughs) right it feels like they're sort of like yeah like you know like when people like instagram their brunch you think they have the best life ever like they don't they're just instagramming a good looking brunch you know um yeah and i think with writing like with my writing specifically i've always tried to uh make those mundane moments seem as important as the non-mundane ones because they are because you couldn't have a non-mundane moment without all the mundane ones and um 
sorry, the dog was just peeing in my room. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I think in writing too, I think that that's, that's what I enjoy reading the most is when people are able to write in an interesting way about the mundane. And I think for that reason, I, I do really enjoy kind of books that a lot of people would think are, are boring maybe, um, because the mundane is, is so fascinating to me and just as fascinating as, you know, big giant events and big crazy things that happen. Um, and I think that I, I want to be able to show that as it's, best I can. Yeah, it's so true. I'm just thinking how awesome it would be if people on Facebook um, also, like, I don't know, somehow showed those really real, real moments of feeling mm-hmm. like shit. And so yeah. it's like, I just got married and right. like all these things. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah, even like, so. maybe even not feeling like shit, like, you know, because you have a spectrum, like, I feel like right, shit and getting true. married. And then there's all that stuff in the middle. Like, I feel pretty okay. Or, like, I'm a little hungry. You know? Like, <laughs> stuff like that. That, like, Meh. Yeah. nobody really ever expresses. Because, like, kind of, why would you? But, right. like, poetry sort of provides an outlet to be able to express those things and be sort of interesting. Which is probably why I like it so much. something else that I wanted to ask but uh, I think I've lost it um so tell me uh, tell us a little bit more about selected tweets and then where people can find it if they want to um so selected tweets is a book that is by me and Tao Lin half of it is by me and the other half is by Tao Lin um we both did illustrations my illustrations are in Tao's half of the book and his illustrations are in my half of the book um and uh, my side of the book comprises um, maybe like seven years of tweeting, um, starting from when I was 17 through to uh, just maybe a year ago. Um, and what it is, it's uh, it comprises three Twitter accounts that I was tweeting from during that time. Um, the first one is Miragons, which is my um, normal Twitter account, the one that I tweet from now. And then there was Mira Unedited, which was my unedited Twitter account that I ran for about two years. Um, And then there was Mira Crying, which was a secret account that I ran for about a year when I was going through a bad breakup. Um, And each Twitter account, I went through every single tweet that I posted and edited them down um, to what I felt was the most interesting tweets on their own, but also tweets that would lend to an overall story arc of the book itself. So the book can kind of be read in three ways. It can be read um, as just individual tweets, like you can flip to any page and read and it'll make sense. It can also be read beginning to end as sort of a a novel type thing, like you can definitely find um, a story arc of what was going on in my life if you read it from beginning to end. And then you could also sort of read it as a set of short stories as each Twitter account being their own short story of a book. Um, And that was sort of my way of uh, trying to show the literary and artistic merit of Twitter um, by taking it out of the context of the internet and putting it into the context of um, this specific form that's well-respected, a book. and showing that there really is no difference between Twitter and writing, so to speak. Um, so that was sort of like, you know, my way of defending writing on the internet, um, if that makes sense. And uh, 
where can you buy it? You can buy it on hobartpulp.com. That's my publisher. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. You can find out more from Mira either by following her on Twitter at Mira Gons, M-I-R-A-G-O-N-Z. And uh, her Twitter, her Tumblr is at miratortilla.tumblr.com, M-I-R-A-T-O-R-T-I-L-L-A.tumblr.com. Um, I am at American Haiku on Twitter, and my email is Jenny at JennyJChen.com. Feel free to drop me a line, let me know how you like this episode, and also send me some suggestions for poets that you would like to hear from in the future. And if you enjoy this episode, please do rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. I promise it's not for my own ego boost, but because um, the way uh, iTunes works is the podcast with more subscriptions and more ratings rise to the top. Um, And so it just makes it easier for people who are looking for poetry podcasts to find us in the whole sea of podcasts out there. iTunes doesn't have a very good search function, so they kind of rely on um, user feedback. So definitely do take the time to do that if you liked it. And I will have show notes and links up at linepodcast.tumblr.com if you'd like to learn more. I'll see you next time when we have an awesome conversation with the poet Christopher Kennedy. Talk to you soon.